Hey, this is Thinking and Drinking. I'm your host, Bart Almond. Over the last 30 years or so, I've worked for major record companies, working with major artists such as Alabama, the Dixie Chicks, and the Florida Georgia Line. I've also been writing songs for the past 15 years, have over 50 cuts, two number ones, and made a lot of friends along the way. I'm going to be talking to some of those friends about songs, life on the road, and just life in general. I hope you have as much fun as I will. Hey, this is Thinking and Drinking. How you doing? We have our old buddy Austin Adams today, who's an attorney, a snappy dresser, and a fine golfer. But first, we need to thank Paul Reed Smith Guitars. Please go check out their stuff at prsguitars.com. They're making uh, some of the best guitars in the world, and uh, they're great people, so check them out. Austin Adams came into our lives at a couple's game night a long time ago, and he's been Amy and myself's attorney for the last, I don't know, 12 or 15 years. He's uh, done all my publishing deals except one, the very first one. He did uh, Amy's LLC for photography, and uh, he's just never not been a great friend. He's, and, uh, he's even such a magician that he got Amy and myself rooting for LSU on more than one occasion, which is dang near impossible. Since recording this episode, Austin has taken a, uh, a job at Big Loud Industries as their new COO. So I suspect he may have answered some of my questions a little differently after that than before that, but uh, nonetheless with no less honesty. So we couldn't be happier or more proud for our buddy, Austin Adams. Austin Adams. Hi, buddy. What's up, my friend? <laughs> I don't know. Just talking golf. Oh, yes. Is that what this is? Because we could talk golf. This is talking golf. We're going to be here. We're on the Golf Channel right now. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So you were uh, born in Louisiana. By the grace of God, yes, sir. <laughs> what did you? Uh, what do you have for siblings? I don't even know. I've got uh, two brothers. Okay, older and younger. So I'm the very level-headed middle one. So you're Jan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, not exactly, but yes. Yeah. What, what were you into in Louisiana as a kid? What'd you guys do? Three oh, boys, man, man. I guess that was some trouble, huh? Oh yeah, we had a blast. It was a great. I grew up in Shreveport, Northwest Louisiana. It was a great place to grow up, and we, you know, outside all the time like boys do. Yeah, sports, you know, all that good stuff. Hunting, fishing, you know. Uh, what were you right? hunting for in Shreveport? Uh, ducking, hunting, deer okay. hunting. You know, we a lot of people there had camps though down in South Louisiana. So, oh, okay. You know, it was better duck hunting down in South Louisiana or up in Arkansas. Right. Right. So, I mean, obviously you're an attorney. I believe your father is an attorney. Yes. Um, you went to uh, graduate from the University of Louisiana. Then you went to LSU School of Law. Go Tigers. <laughs> How do you spell go? G e a u x is the <laughs> only way to spell it. <laughs> You ever get in trouble for in legal documents for spelling go that way? Not so far. <laughs> so is your fa- are your brothers attorneys? No, both of them are actually uh, more involved in finance. Okay. One, uh, my older brother has a wealth management company that he owns, and uh, my younger brother um, works for a giant offshore services company and like CFO type role. Oh, wow. Wow, okay. So, um, were you guys into music? Yeah, mostly, well, yes, everybody was really into music. Um, 
my older brother had all he's six years older okay so he had all the cassette tapes well first off all the records right right we can go through it like yes originally i played his vinyl because <laughs> you know that when you're 25 years old like i am you know you had vinyl around when you were absolutely uh are you 25 now oh no i'm sorry 45 oh <laughs> um the uh started out playing his and my dad's vinyl yeah um and then played his cassette tapes and then I remember, like, he was, I forget how old he was when, you know, CDs came out. Yeah. But he was at that age where he had a job and had money, and he just spent it all on CDs. Mm. And I would, my buddy Cody and I would go into his room when he wasn't there, and he had this CD player, and it was amazing. Yeah. And I couldn't believe we could skip to the next song by pushing know. a button once and he would come home with those stacks of those long uh paper remember the old long paper oh, cd dude. the long box the long box yeah. yeah he would come home with just a stack of those and we, that's where he'd spend his money on and we would go and i mean it was the doors and david allen co and i mean you name it uh all kinds of music and is there like a tower close to you guys tower records i don't think they had we didn't have a tower okay. we had like your local you know, uh, local record shops. Yeah. Um, and I actually, I f- I'm blanking on the main one, which everybody from Shreveport would kill me for not remembering. But, <laughs> but yeah, your local, you know, record shop. Yeah. So I happen to have a little inside knowledge about your singing and playing talents. Mm-hmm. Okay. So were you, because like when I was listening to records, I was always trying to figure out licks. Is that what you were doing, listening, or were you just going like, "Holy uh, crap, what is this"? I, um, I was initially, I would have a guitar and okay. just pretend, like, so I would borrow a guitar, like I didn't have an electric guitar, I had an acoustic guitar, right. so I would borrow an electric guitar when I was like in elementary school and just pretend like I was ripping solos. Nice, and um, and didn't really start learning guitar seriously until i was junior high yeah um and i was more of a uh at first i was more of a crooner i was a really you know i got the acoustic and sang that was my thing and i had an electric that i did play and i love blues you know that was my thing and i did figure out you know riffs and love doing that but i and i kind of it's funny if i could go back you know, I would have done a lot more of, you know, figuring out licks instead of getting the Eagles songbook and trying to sing every song. Sure. Um, Just because, you know, I I love doing that, but it's, I love just, you know, sitting around and playing electric as well. But the, um, but that's what what I did. You know, I had, I had songbooks. Yeah. And I would just sit and try to imitate, you know, um, all my favorites. So George Strait songbook and the Eagles songbook. Yeah, man. You know, I remember, you know, uh, you know, of course, like playing like Pink Floyd's wish you were here, like a gajillion times. Yeah. Uh, that's that's what I was doing. So did you have any interest in being an artist or a writer or a player? Or, I mean, I mean, I know you were playing, but did you ever think that, I'm going to move to New Orleans and do this for a living or Nashville? Or No, I mostly played to get girls, and that was really the goal. Uh, and 
um, I didn't think much past that. Right. Uh, you know, when we, you know, in Treeport, you know, a lot of your weekend entertainment, as I'm sure it was for you growing up, was, you know, going out to campfire. Yeah. You know, and drinking beer and sitting around and to pull out the guitar and play there was kind of the goal. Dude, I can't imagine young guys now being able to play John Mayer songs. It's like it must just be freaking automatic. (laughs) No doubt. We didn't have that kind of stuff. No. We didn't have that kind of material. You can say peaceful, easy feeling. That'll only get you so far. Uh, No, no, no. But I'll tell you what. You look so good in love by George Strait. Oh, yeah. That'll work. I never thought about that. So um, after school, you did move to Nashville. No. No? After law school, I stayed – actually went to Lafayette for a year and, and worked for a judge or oh, worked okay. for a federal judge. Um, and then I came back and worked at a law firm in Baton Rouge for three years. For three years? Yeah. So I never told you my – I don't think so. Story? So hmm, let me think about this. Uh, <laughs> think about what you can say. Yeah, let me think about what I'm going to say here. I'm usually not recorded. Right. For good reason. I don't, this isn't legal. I mean, I don't think. That's true. We'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, I um, Yeah, so I was working at this law firm, and I had been there for three years, and it, it was an old-school like law firm in Louisiana and did like, LSU's work and the governor's work oh, and all okay. that stuff. And it was fun. Like I enjoyed it. But I just I did litigation, so I was in court and doing right. that whole thing, and it just wasn't my thing. And um, literally woke up in a cold sweat one night. And I was just like something was wrong. Hmm. And I was only a couple of years away from probably making partner in the firm. And because it was a very short partnership track at that firm. And, um, you know, I was dating this little girl that was at LSU um, from Opelousas, super sweet girl and all this stuff. And I, I don't know. I just like I had a vision of like I'm only a couple of years away from cementing this life. Right. I probably marry this girl and get you know, become a partner in his firm and, yeah. and grow, live the rest of my life in Baton Rouge and have some kids. And, and which isn't that, a bad thing. That's a, I got a bunch of friends that have done yeah. that, that I love and that is not a bad thing at all. But for me personally, that path just didn't sit right. Yeah. And, um, it took me some figuring out to, some time to figure that out, what was wrong. And so I was like, okay, well clearly I got to change my path. And I'm like, what am I passionate about now? At this time I, uh, was, had, we call it a band. I don't know how much of a band it was. <laughs> we were called the regulars, which nice. most of our friends were like, so you regularly go to the bathroom? That's what that means? Right. And you're like, no. We're regulars at the bar. Nobody got that. <laughs> Nobody got that. Uh, so we uh, – and I, I was playing a lot. And during that – the whole time I was in Baton Rouge, I started writing Okay. Um, so I met this guy named Nathan Smith, who's still well, – you may have even met him. He's one of my best friends. He lives in Austin now. Katrina moved him out of New Orleans to oh, Austin. Oh, okay. And um, we just started writing music together. And we were – that was alt-country days. Nice. And, you know, we were uh, trying to be Whiskey Town, you yeah. know, and uh, – Cross-Canadian ragweed or something. All that stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, the Jayhawks. And, uh, oh, yeah. but we, we wrote music and it was my first experience. I mean, writing with someone and we stayed, we would drink all night and write music and play and we played out some and, yeah. and um, had a great time and I was really into it. 
and I had a little four track recorder, and we'd mess around. And the TX, yes, the TX, yes. exactly yeah. what I had. I had one of those. Uh, I got mine given to me by Aaron Tippin. Oh wow! And it was only a three track. Because number four stopped moving. <laughs> got to bounce. Got to well, bounce it. Got to learn to bounce, but also it was going to cost more to fix track four than it was going to cost to buy a whole new thing. So <laughs> right. he gave it to me. <laughs> I love that. I love that. But that's, yeah, that's what we were doing at night. Yeah. And so when I was like, well, I got to figure out what I want to do and, and what am I passionate about? It's like music for sure. Yeah. And, and so your question was the question at that point. Like, am I. You know, I was a singer, you know, and, oh, yeah. and a player and um, and wrote songs. and um, But I also had, you know, uh, the other side of the brain as well. Yeah. And I'm um, very analytical and as a lawyer. And the question was, you know, what do you, what do I do? Like, I don't know. And so the truth was I wanted to do both. Yeah. And I didn't know anything about any of it. Right. And I... um so I'm like, I really would love to find a way to write songs. And I don't know that I ever thought I'd really be a recording artist, but right. writing songs for sure and, and just playing music and writing songs. But also, you know, I loved like a, manage the idea of management or A&R, like, you know, and, and but I didn't know anything about it. Right. Um, so I, uh, it's so funny. I was like, okay, it was almost like I couldn't bear to tell all these people that invested all this time in me as a lawyer that I was going to go be a songwriter in Nashville. (laughs) And they're like, what do you know about it? Nothing. Nothing. How many songs you written? Handful. Yeah. (laughs) Are they any good? Not really. Don't know. Maybe. Uh, (laughs) Do you like them? Uh, So, uh, I, so I came up with this, you know, plan of, you know what? I'm going to, I decided, I remembered I had this friend who was a songwriter who I had uh, gone to high school with, who had gone to a school up here that was a school about music business. Mm -hmm. And that's all I knew. Um, And I'm like, so I wonder if I could, I need to learn more about this. You know, I wonder if I could go like take some, move up there, take some classes. And, you know, and so I just started researching schools and saw Belmont. Right. Turns out my friend, uh, Troy Virgis. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know Troy. Yeah. And, um, He'd gone to MTSU, but I didn't know. I just, okay. he's from my hometown and I knew him and I'd heard he'd done that. So, and that, he's uh, done pretty well. He did pretty well. Yeah. He did pretty well. Uh, I still see him. I see him every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's done great. And, um, but anyway, so I'm like, okay, I got this plan. And I had a buddy who's my best friend in law school had already moved up here. He quit practicing law and was opening a restaurant up here on Demumbrian, uh, called Otter's Chicken Tenders. Oh, yeah. I remember, remember that. Otter's. Yep. So I'm like, okay, I got this plan. I'm going to move up there. I'm going to live with Talbot. Ottinger's his name. Uh, I'm and move. you know you can write with Troy and eat at Otters. Right, so right. You're, yes. You're pretty good to go. No, no I was not going to ask <laughs> Troy to write with me. Never did. Never did. Still won't. Uh, he would do it. I'm sure he would. He's a wonderful guy. Uh, but no, I didn't. Uh, did not try to call in any favors from the Shreveport clan, although there were a bunch up here. Yeah. Um, I just kind of. And I was a little, to be honest, I was a little intimidated. Oh, just, dude. You know, I just yeah. didn't know how to do that. And so that's, I think, why I came up with the plan. And I could tell everybody at the law firm and tell my parents, although my parents would have supported me with whatever. But, hey, look, I'm going up there. I'm going to take some classes. I'm going to help my buddy with this restaurant. And I'm going to figure out how I get into the music business. Yeah. Which is still something I wanted to do. It wasn't just songwriting. So I come up and I take some classes at Belmont. And it was great back 
I think I had to take calculus, which I didn't have to take. But other than that, I could jump in and took publishing and record labels and studio uh, studio and all those great class management. And I learned so much. And plus, if it all ends up in the toilet, you still have a law degree. Exactly. Yeah. And 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 it did, but you know. uh, (laughs) So um, obviously, I'm practicing law now. So. I uh, I ended up getting um, – and what I realized, which everybody knows now, right? One of the best things about Belmont is getting these internships. Yeah, right? absolutely. Because it's, you, it's, it's good to learn about it, but you know, it gives you the opportunity to network and meet people and get job opportunities and real – Reading you know, something in a book is totally different than oh, experience. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. I um, – there's a guy – you remember Hassel Tickel, piano player? <laughs> Don't know, man. He and Kicks Brooks were good, but both from Shreveport. Okay, and um, he uh, Hassel Teagle. Yeah, Hassel. He was up here for. He played with. He was amazing. Really, uh, still is. Yeah, he played all kinds of people. Man, uh, I, that sounds like a person I would love to know. You, I I, I'm su- really surprised you don't know him. Actually, uh, he um, he's back at Shreveport now, but he's a great dude mm. and. You know, my dad knew his dad and hooked us up, and he introduced me to Monty Hitchcock. Oh, yeah. And so I got an internship with Monty Hitchcock. Okay. And Monty Hitchcock became my mentor. Was this during the Emmylou Harris and Nash Ramblers? This was Monty Hitchcock? post Emmylou Harris and Nash Ramblers. Okay. This was, I came on when John Randall signed with Sony. With Sony? Yes. Or RCA? Sony. Because I met John Randall when he signed with RCA. No, he signed. Well, he was signed with RCA before Sony. Okay. Okay. If I'm not, so I think he signed, if I'm not mistaken, he signed with RCA, and I don't know if that record ever came out. Oh, yeah, because we promoted the crap out of that. Yeah, we were the terrible twins over there because we both had long hair and yes. bad attitudes. and. Oh. Fantastic, both of you. I yes. met him I, when he was Randy Stewart. Re- yes, yes, yes. And then, and then, we had Larry Stewart on the label, also right from Restless Heart. And then, so we decided to get his name. Go to John Randall. John Randall. And everybody who loves him from home calls him Randy. Yeah, you know. Yep. Um, I still do that yeah. once in a while whenever I see him. But well, he was John Randall by the time I met him. It was okay. after the RCA days. It was. When he got signed just down the street, when Sony was down the street before the merger. Yeah. And um, I just can't remember what record that would have been. That the Sony, Sony record? Yeah. It was, it came out in 2005 and it had um, Whiskey Lullaby on it. Okay. But it was after Whiskey was a hit for Brad. Okay. It was right about the time that Whiskey came out, they were recording the album. Oh, that worked out pretty well, too. Yeah. And um, so. Anyway, you're working with Monty Hitchcock. I'm working with Monty, and I was John Randall's job. I was his day-to-day and tour manager. You were his tour manager? Uh And Monty, one of the best tour managers of all time. Yeah. Uh, He taught me how to tour manage with Nancy Griffith, because he was also working with Nancy with Burt Stein. Man. And so my first, like, I got on the bus and went down to New Orleans with Nancy and Monty, and he kind of taught me how to do it. And then, um, as Monty does, you know, just put me out there. (laughs) 
let me swim and yeah, um, or but, sink. Uh, and and Monty was amazing to me. Like yeah. he was the best mentor. He's such a good dude, so smart. Yeah, and just has done everything you could possibly imagine. Yeah. His stories are amazing. He could lie all day long, and you'd never know it because of everything that you know he's done. You would just believe it. You you have to believe. Yeah. It. And and he, uh, but literally, he wasn't. And and it was funny because I thought this was normal at the time until I, I did some other things and talked to other people and realized how abnormal this was. And he basically was like, okay. He put a little chair next to his desk, and for years I was in on every phone call. I saw every document. Man. I went to every – I'm meeting with the head of the label. Austin's come along. And I learned so much. I was in every studio session. You know, That's I was crazy. there uh, for the whole recording of Nancy's album, all of John's album. Um, I'm in there with George Massenberg, yeah. watching him work, Dang. watching him close mic acoustic guitars. You know, I mean, it's, oh my God. And I just learned so much, and Monty was so good to me. Um, I really, really, it was an amazing journey with him. And so I, I was doing that, and that got me loving management. Yeah. You know, which I did. I still. I don't do it anymore. Um, but, and at the same time, and this is, you know, I learned a lesson that I try to teach young people when they come here is, you know, I did the old jack of all trades, master of none. Right. You know, and that is really hard to do in this town. Yeah. And so what happened was. It's probably harder now. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm writing songs, you know, I'm, I'm tour managing and managing. And I was even doing some like, you know, I had a blues band, classic rock band that went through many names, the last of which was the Jackson Soul, you know, playing the Bunganut Pig, <laughs> you know, for four hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I'm like doing all these things and no, everybody knows the person that they do the thing with, right? So the people that I come across with, with John Randall and doing his work, think of me as a manager. And I was dating a girl who was working the front desk at Universal Publishing Okay, And so she got introduced me to some of the guys over there. And so I started songwriting over there. And I'm writing with some artists they had signed over there. And I had a couple of buddies that had gotten, were in the tape room and got in the pub deal. Mm-hmm. And Pat Higdon, I mean, one of my favorite people in the world, yeah. you know, always treated me. You'd have thought I had a publishing deal over there. Right. I mean, he was just so sweet, treated me great, allowed me to come in and write and... How you, you doing, know, buddy? Yeah, exactly. Hey, buddy. It never once goes, why are you wasting my writer's time? <laughs> Who are you and why are you here? Yeah, he was always really sweet. And yep. uh, we, uh, so I'm writing over there a lot. and um, But I'm also like doing one-off legal, you know, deals. Right. Like I remember my first ever entertainment contract I did for Pat Bergeson. And Love him. I, we talk about a good guitar player. Dude, we're talking about one of the best guitar players. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, I did a production agreement in exchange for a bullet mic for my blues band. Nice. And um, but uh, anyway, so I'm doing all those things, but everybody knows me as something different. The pe- yeah. people I'm riding with don't know I could manage them or do their legal work. Or whatever. Right. The people that I'm are seeing me do the management don't know they can write with me, and. You're paranoid to cross those lines. Yeah. And it's generally a no-no, right? I mean, yeah. you don't, nobody wants, 
the day-to-day guy to pass them a tape at the time. Right. You know, uh, I always remember this. Remember the little recorders uh, that were in all the uh, writing rooms? The little, like, they looked like they were from, I forget what they call them. They looked like from elementary school. I guess what you'd make your work they, tapes with. Cassette? Mm-hmm. Cassette? Okay, yeah. The little tiny elementary school. Yeah, where you'd push play and record you push play and record at the same yeah. time. <laughs> and everybody and had, had a box of those clear cassettes that were five minutes a piece or something. Yes. And yeah. I was I didn't have any money, so right. I would take a bunch of those. Sorry, Pat <laughs> Higdon. And um but uh but yeah, nobody wanted the yeah. the clear cassette tape. Um so I'm doing all that stuff and um I end up uh bouncing around a little John when I stopped working with John and them and John started focusing on, on songwriting and production and, yeah. and um, I wore, I was day to day for Jesse Alexander for a while. When she um, was on, um, was she on Columbia? No, she was on Columbia. She was, she was on okay. Columbia. I worked for Faith Quisenberry. Okay. Remember Faith? Yeah. And, um, she's another great person. Man, I haven't thought about, heard that name for a long time. Oh yeah. Well, before that I worked for Bert Stein with Ronnie Millsap. Okay. Al McManus, those guys over there. I love Al. Al McManus, what a great dude. Uh, he and I were great friends, and I did like a lot of marketing and, and uh, for Ronnie uh, for them. Is that when Bert had uh, Vince Neil too? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. It was fun, and Bert Bert was great. Paid me to do like marketing type work for Ronnie for the he had a st- his first standards album that came out. Man, do you remember Ronnie's tour manager Phil? Oh, Phil. Oh man, he was a great guy. But when I worked with Ronnie at RCA, Phil always had his arm, his left arm, and he would be walking him through and he would lean over to him and go, It's Bart from the label. And I'd I'd stick my hand out. I'd go, Hey Ronnie and he'd always stick his hand out and go, It's nice to see you, man. And I never wondered, or I mean, I always wondered, is he saying that to be funny, or is that just what everybody <laughs> says? Hey, man, it's good to see you. It's like, well, yeah, but. <laughs> I, I, I've had a few moments of those myself with oh, him. You've got more than me. He was, I mean, the first time I met him, I mean, I was doing, you know, I, Al and I designed the mailer, you know, and I was trying to find places to send it to. That was my job. And. But when I first time I met him, it was right yeah. before a show. He came over and gave me the biggest hug and just said, "Man, I know what you're doing, and I really appreciate what you do." And what a great guy! What, man. Amazing! What an am- amazing voice! Was he still on RCA then? No, because we did that record. Okay, I forget the company we the label we did it with, but it was a smaller label. I think it was the after or I think he might have gone back to ours like he came okay. off and then went back and did another record but I think man. this was not on RCA but what a voice great great man and yeah. great time I really enjoyed that and then I went and worked for Faith and I ended up I was doing day to day for Craig Morgan oh okay cool and um, but at this point you know I am also I've got about five other jobs right you know I was bartending <laughs> at the greenhouse Oh, dude. Yeah. In Green Hills. Yeah. That place was awesome. Yeah. Uh, Loved that. I was frying. I was the Sunday manager at Otter's. So I was frying chicken, basically. No, not basically. I was frying chicken. (laughs) Sunday mornings, I was hung over as I'll get out because I'd been at the Tin Roof listening to uh, Henry and the Seahawks. Oh, yeah. Henry. Yeah. And um, 
all night the night before. Uh, and then I was also – I worked at Grand Cru Wine for a while. I worked at a couple of other places. I mean I was <laughs> so poor and just working all these jobs. And and then Faith ended up merging her company into Vector. Oh, yeah. And so – which my job was lost, of course, in that right. situation. And so I literally – I got to this place where I was like, man. And I had at that time taken some publishing meetings and started okay. playing songs and – as when, a writer, as a writer, and and um, and to, you know, good meetings. You know, I know a little bit more now about what this means than I did then. But definitely, like, yeah. keep coming back, keep bringing me songs. I knew that. Yeah, I didn't get any. You suck, uh, right? And one of the meetings was with Scott Gunter, so he would have told me that. <laughs> um, yes, he would. That was one of my favorite. <laughs> Meetings at all time, uh, uh, and he and I have been like best buddies ever since that oh, meeting. Dude. But um, he loves the song I wrote with John Randall, believe it or not. Oh yeah, I bet. Uh, but um, you know, a lot of like keep coming back. I want to hear more, but you know, I knew I had a way, and I knew I had a ways to go. Yeah. I tell you what, writing with John Randall let me know how far I had to go. That guy is amazing. First of all, that he took the time to write with me, you know, was 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 really cool of him to do and the experience of you know for somebody who was writing with a bunch of young guys like you do yeah to go with a pro and yeah. i just remembered you know learning how he, two things about him which were very impressive which helped me learn about what you have to do to be a successful songwriter one is natural talent right yeah there's nothing you can do about that. Right. Right. I remember yeah. writing with him and, and like we were writing lyric and I had an idea and we were writing it and, you know, and his lyric course, like he, it's like he burped and like poetry came out. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh yeah, I guess we could use that. Um, and then it's like, okay, well what's the melody going to be? And he's like, Oh, psh, melody. And he grabs a guitar and he sings, this? he sings the first line and it's like, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. Yeah. So he's got this natural ability. Which that in of itself is awesome. But what was even more impressive to me was his editing mm -hmm. and his drive to make it good. You know, because I remember like we're driving home from the right. Yeah. And he's calling me with changes. Right. Hey, man, that second verse, like I think yeah. that third word, if we did this. Instead of that. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, yeah. you're the pro. I'm the young guy. I would think you'd be ready to go home with like I am and you're still writing the song. And then we did a guitar vocal and we rewrote the chorus. One of my best friends in the world who is a, such an amazing writer, I'm not going to even say who he is, but he became an alcoholic. And I remember writing with him one morning and saying, dude, how do you shut it off? How do you not keep writing the song and keep editing the song that you wrote yesterday. He goes, why do you think we all drink so much? <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, because you're trying to shut it off trying to above the down. eyes. It's like, yeah. So, I mean, I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. And it was my first experience with a writer that wasn't a young guy like me who were right. still learning, you yeah. know, and to see like, man, you're that good and you're that talented, but yet you're still working that hard. Yeah. And you still want it to be perfect and you're not mailing it in even at your level of success yeah. and uh i was really impressed by that and also made me realize how 
far I had to go. Sure. And so, um, well, but you were so torn with five different things going yeah. on. Yeah. At the same that, time, I'm also Craig. I forget what I was doing at that time, but you know, Craig Morgan Day Today or whatever, and I'm yeah. also. You know, doing working those five other jobs and yeah. doing some legal work, and and so I um I basically got to this point where I had to make a decision. I had taken these meetings, and I was like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm out of the job. I'm poor. I'm tired of being poor. <laughs> uh, uh, tired of fried chicken and um, no delicious fried otters. chicken. Oh, I ate a lot of it. Yeah, lucky I have a high metabolism. <laughs> um, but I uh. I remember thinking, you know, I got to make a decision and, and I'd taken these meetings and I knew that it was going to still be a while. Like yeah. I'm going to be frying chicken for a while if I'm going to do this. And I was like, man, do I have the passion for that or not? And I'm trying to figure it out. And right about that time, I, this boutique entertainment firm, law firm reaches out and says, Hey, come work for us. Here's what we pay you. I was like, Oh my gosh. And it wasn't that much, but to me, yeah, I mean, it was less than I was making years earlier, five years earlier in Baton Rouge. But it, but it um, meant you could work one job. I could work one job. And I was like, I made a classic mistake. And, and actually, I won't call it a mistake because I'm glad I am where I am. But from a creative songwriting perspective, mm-hmm. if that was really my goal, I made a mistake. Okay. I made the mistake of going... Well, I'll take this job, but I'll write at night. (laughs) So, you know, what you find out, which you know, nobody in this town writes at night. Not good. No. No. You go to L.A., it's a different thing. Nobody writes their own day. But, uh, no, nobody writes at night. And, you know, it just – I did it for a while. I had some buddies of mine that were sweet enough to – that would write during the day and then stay up and write with me at night. And we used to go, you know – buy a six pack and, and yeah. I remember my buddy Christian Rada who awesome oh, yeah. guy you know Christian yep, absolutely um, great writer uh, mm-hmm. he would have roll your own cigarettes and we used to sit out on the patio at Universal at night and oh, smoke cigarettes and drink beer and, and, and write and it was great but you know, it just it just didn't last and um, and and then I, you were super perky the next day for your job job. Exactly. Yeah. And I was still playing in a band at that time too. Oh man. And so I um eventually I just got to the point where, you know, I I had to figure out what I wanted to do. And I really liked, you know, I didn't want to practice law again, but you know, mixing the entertainment into it and yeah. I was able to help people that I had worked with, you know, I quickly had like John Randall's a client, you know, we've been talking about John a lot, you know, and to be able to like really help his career and look at his agreements and do that. And, and I learned, you know, I mean, I did work for some, I'm not going to give names, but some very interesting artists over there. Interesting is a good word. Yeah. 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 Very successful. They had a lot of like old school. Like if I were to give you the names, Oh man, you could imagine the work I was doing. Well, you haven't said the name of the boutique law firm yet. Do you want to say who it is or no? Yeah, no, no, of course. Uh, it was a great place. I loved working over there. Uh, it was, uh, of course. Now you've asked me, and I, I can. It was uh, Bruce Phillips and Philip Line. It was Line okay. and Phillips. Okay, I'm sorry, I blanked on the name there for a second because they were they had just oh, you left. Were tired. They they had just left a firm that had a different name. Okay. and started their own, and um, we read. They had some great artist clients. Actually, they had some very you know. 
uh, contemporary artist clients as well. But what was so much fun was, you know, they had a um, a lot of the old school uh, oh, artists, the legacy guys, but like the really good ones, yeah. like huge ones. And it was so fun to meet them and yeah. do that stuff and learn. But then, you know, they also had some uh, current, you know, major label artists that I worked with yeah. as well. And, and um, a lot did you ever of go back? Sorry to interrupt you, but did you ever go back and look at old contracts just to go, what the crap were you thinking well, I had in 1975 to. when you signed this? I you had did? to. Like, I can remember, you know, there was this one particular, probably the biggest artist that we worked with and, and had to look at a um, contract from the 60s uh, because there were some issue, current issues about what had happened back then. And I had to go read those, you know, a record deal. And this was an L.A. record deal. Okay. From the sixties, and I'm like, oh my gosh! Like, <laughs> all right. And the funny thing is, there's a lot of things that hadn't changed. <laughs> yeah, oh, I bet. But uh, but it uh, but I love working there. I learned a lot from yeah. both uh, Bruce and Philip, and um, they were uh, they helped me a lot because you know I I knew a lot about the music business at that time. Yeah, um, and I knew. A lot about being a lawyer, but I didn't. I didn't know a lot about negotiating those deals, and they. Uh, I learned a ton, and I was there for years. So, the majority of people you represent, you work with, are songwriters, artists, and the like. I mean, do you ever represent publishing companies or record companies, yes. or are you always on? You do. You're on both sides. Small, I mean, both independent. Sides yeah. Okay. Uh, most of. My clients are individuals, so yeah, know, they're artists, songwriters, producers. Okay, um, that's the majority of it. But I do represent um, several independent publishing companies and one uh, record label. Okay, that you you're very familiar with, um, and uh, and their publishing companies too work with those guys and um, Derek and I work with them yeah. together um and they uh so yeah i do i do both but the you know, like i said only one record label yeah. and and a handful of uh independent publishers but a lot of those publishers almost every one of them not all of them there's a couple that are just pure publishers mm-hmm. but all 90% of the publishing companies i work with are owned by songwriters yeah. and the relationships you know, whether it be Derek's relationship with the one that you're very familiar with, um, which evolved into me working with them or my relationships with some, uh, right. that these guys that go start, you know, publishing companies have a lot of success. And, um, so that's where the, a lot of those companies come from that yeah. relationship. Do you find like, well, shoot, I was going to ask you, okay. Uh, your best, piece of advice this was an amy question what's your best piece of free advice to a new writer hitting town like bart allman hits town and starts writing and immediately sony troy tomlinson goes let's get you a record deal outside of i, mean, I don't know any attorneys so what's your best piece of advice i mean how would you go about finding a new attorney or finding a, an attorney if you are brand new to town yeah i mean it's funny 
a lot. Go Can ahead. I amend that real quick? Sorry, yeah. man. Do you also find that like Sony has a stable, not a stable. A Rolodex of attorneys they like to work with that they know they can trust that's going to treat them fair, going to treat the writer fair, everything's going to work. Do you find that most publishing companies have – because I know like record companies when I was working, it's like if we signed Austin to an artist deal, we had this manager, this manager, and this manager that we wanted you to work with because we knew we worked good with them. Right. You know, not maybe – financially advantageous but we knew everybody was going to get treated good yeah yeah i mean a lot of referrals i get come from the company yeah okay um and so yeah that happens a lot and the good news is the lawyers it's a bunch of great lawyers in nashville oh yeah absolutely absolutely. you know there's there's not a whole lot or if any that I would say, you know, are guys that you want to stay away from or yeah. whatever, you know, I mean, yeah. all the guys that are reputable, you know, um, practicing experienced entertainment attorneys in this town, I'm probably friends with all of yeah. them and respect all of them. Well, so you, everybody wants to work again tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, I mean, you know, there are some attorneys, you know, outside of Nashville that are hard to deal with. Um, but the, uh, but the guys in town and the girls in town are, um, there's a lot of good ones. And so, um, there's, you just really, yeah, I mean, everybody has, and I wouldn't say it's a, a list of specific lists, but just to, and sometimes it's the plugger. You know, right. And sometimes it's yeah. Troy, you know, and sometimes it's Terry. Right. You know, and um both of which are not at Sony anymore. Wait, Troy's not? Where have you been? Dude, I've been in the country. Yeah, so uh I knew Terry wasn't. Uh Troy Tomlinson is the head of Universal Publishing. See, there you go. Where yes. have I been? And Terry's over uh, uh, at Universal yeah. as well. Um but that is relatively recent news. Okay. Um, so, uh, but a perfect example is for using you know, Troy yeah. Terry. Uh, they, um, yeah, either one of them may send over someone. And then it's also your, it's funny because, and it's fun, you know, you know this, a lot of the songwriters and artists in town come up in little groups. Yeah. You know, and it's the same thing I was doing um, when I moved here, except our group just wasn't very successful, but like <laughs> the, uh, you know, you'll get these little groups of friends and they all write together cause nobody else will write with them. Yeah. And they all, you know, they get good and then you get, you know, one, all of a sudden one of them gets a, uh, a publishing deal and then the publishers to figure out the friends that, who'd you write this song with? And then this guy yeah. gets a deal and then this guy yep. gets an artist deal and it's, they're all best buddies. Right. And, so a lot of times you'll get you people lawyers will end up representing that whole group because the first one needs a lawyer and Terry says, "Well, here's some lawyers go meet with yeah. them." He gets one, you do his deal with Universal Publishing and then his other buddies and it happens to me all the time. I've got a bunch of clients that are in these little groups and the next thing you know you get a call from, "Hey, my buddy Joe says yeah. that you did his deal. You do my deal. Yeah. Who was your attorney? Yep. Austin. Exactly. Okay. Well, I'll call him. Yeah. And so you get a lot of referrals that way. So it's mostly, you know, if they get offered a deal, the company, you know, it's in the company's best interest to get them good representation. Yeah. And then, you know, the through their friends, you know, um, and other people that have uh, needed attorneys. That's generally where they come from. And then at some level, you got managers. 
yeah. involved. You know, it just depends. But if a manager is involved, they usually have lawyers they like to send people to. Yeah. And, um, so, yeah, but that's where it comes from. That's where people generally get their ideas. Is there any interesting trends in publishing deals these days? Oh, um, you know, I mean, I don't know if there's trends. I mean, you know, publishing deals and record deals, you know, have been, yeah, know, the structure of them have been the same forever. Right. Um, you know, they change how they pay royalties sometimes and whether, you know, on the record deals, whether it's on retail or wholesale or whatever. And, mm-hmm. Um, but the points you know, or gen- they're generally laid out the same way, and yeah. you know, and you people come around and do different things, and you know, you get some companies that'll do net receipts, fifty, all this kind of different things. But and same with publishing deals, uh, you know, you'll occasionally get someone that comes in with some radical ideas on how to do something. But ninety nine percent of the time, you know, the the publishing deals are all set up the same. Will the radical ideas be about? Streaming or something like that, or yeah, you just never know, and how they're going to do the term, how they're going to pay things out, you know, what happens with the copyrights, you know. Yeah. But I mean, there's not a whole lot of radical movement. Record labels are you're more likely to find someone trying to do something really different there. Publishing, it's just kind of a tried and true, yeah, uh, situation because you know you're given a, you typically need some money, so you're going to get an advance, and yeah. you, you're going to give them all or a portion of ownership in the songs. And then there's, you know, a bunch of stuff that goes around that, that you need to figure out from a deal point perspective. But the basic way that's set up of, Hey, we're going to own or co-own a piece of this and we're going to pay you a royalty based on how much of it we own. Yeah. And, um, you know, that basic structure is the same. Um, but you know, there's a lot of things that happen in the business that, change the details you know streaming and i would i would think merch would be as important these days as anything there's a lot more change in record deals over the years than there has been in publishing deals. the the only change not the only change the change i've seen that's the i think the most um i don't know what the right word is i mean the most drastic change in publishing, I guess, has been not that the publishing deal has changed, but the addition of the development deal. Okay. So I've, I've heard that a lot. The, you know, it, again, publishers aren't really changing their co-pub deals or their full pub deals. They're, right. You know, the, the, you may have some breakage language in there and some streaming stuff and some other things that, you know, the times are changing. You've got to address those things. But the um, – the, the main difference now is you're finding publishers developing artists. Mm-hmm. And so what's happened now is they've added to the publishing deal, either as a separate agreement or within the publishing deal, a deal that says, hey, we're going to spend some money on you and we're going to spend a bunch of time and we're going to try to develop you as an artist. And yeah. hopefully you get, you know, uh, gain what goals we set for you. You know, and a lot of times that's a record deal. Right. And so if we get you a record deal, then this happens, you know, and, um, and if we don't, then we're going to drop you. <laughs> well, you know, no comment. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've heard some pretty brittle stories out there, but but yeah, and that's everybody's got to make money, man. Yeah, yeah, and, and, that's, and yeah. there are there are fair and unfair ways to do that. Um, I got so sick of, and I'm sorry I keep interrupting you, but I got so sick of people beating up record companies when I was working for them. It was like, well, you don't understand. I know for a fact, however many millions of years ago this was. 
that we had the Dixie Chicks at Sony, we had well over a million dollars spent before the first single ever went to radio. Well, these companies are, you know, okay, you want to call them the evil record companies. They're also the last bastions of massive entrepreneurs. You know, and it's their money, and if you end up falling off the face of the earth, that money's still gone. Yeah. So, sorry. Yeah. You know, I mean, everybody needs, I don't know, I, I, I'll i always defend the record companies because... Well, some, you know, I mean, and that's the uh, a statement that's said a lot um, when you're talking about record deals is, you know, and it's that number. It's main, you know, that million yeah. dollar number. It's, it's, you know, where are you going to find someone to put a million dollars into Absolutely. this risky an investment? Yeah. Um, and that's true. You know, it's a very expensive investment. Yeah. Um, if it's done right. And, um, and you know, just like the pub does, you don't have to pay that money back. No. Um, so... And it's the same with publishers, you know, and they're, you know, you're having to, I mean, heck, most of the artists that I have signed to major label records were signed to some kind of development deal. Yeah, well, I'm sure. Um, with a publisher. Yeah. And almost all of them had publishing first. Not all of them, but a, a majority of them yeah. had publishing first and they had, and the ones that happened in the last couple of years all had some kind of development deal. Yeah. Um, and some of them utilize that development deal and sometimes things happen and they didn't need to utilize it. Uh, Nobody likes to be the first person to dip their toe in the water. No, that's right. <laughs> so if I can, if you come to me and go, this guy's great and I already know, I trust you. Right. That's well, gonna... thank you. It, it's a, it's an interesting thing, but I mean, it's, it's, but it's worked out great and it's been super yeah. helpful. And I think, you know, record labels, I believe appreciate it. Um, to some extent that they're uh, got a resource out there where they're getting artists that have support and that have already cut sides, yeah. you know, and are cutting sides with legitimate producers because publishers are paying some money and or have a great reputation and, and you know, reputable producers are willing to, you know, take a risk themselves because you've got a great team together, yeah. you know, and so... Um, you can get some quality product and some quality um, songs because they're hooking you up with hooking young artists up with great songwriters early. Yeah. They're getting them in the studio and cutting you know quality masters um, because you can do that for an affordable price now. Yeah. And um, so and they're to some extent depending on the situation releasing yeah. and getting you know, millions of streams and eyeballs and getting out and touring and, you know, Hey, look, that's not radio and it's different. Um, but it, it can really provide a great base to work from. And, um, there's a lot of different ways to do it these days. Oh, it's, and it's, and there's not one way, you know, I mean, I hear people say sometimes, Oh, you know, it's not going to work if you don't put out something first and really have some success with that. Like, not necessarily. I yeah. mean, I definitely have clients that never put out uh, a song seriously. Yeah. You know, maybe they put out stuff back from their hometown or whatever, but yeah. did not release music and got a deal because A&R found them and loved them and they right. got hits on the radio. Yeah. And I definitely have some that have put out and songs and had some good success and then rolled into a record deal and had success that way. Um, so there's there's no one way to do it, uh, but have uh, uh, all the changes in the music business affected your end as much? 
just all, uh, I don't even know what I'm trying to say, just how much the business has really changed over the last. Oh, yeah. We see it a lot because, you know, we have to try to anticipate those changes. Yeah. And negotiate agreements that anticipate those changes um, so that we make sure our clients aren't missing out on income streams, for instance, or, you know, when we're negotiating about certain income streams, knowing where they're going and, you know, what the going rate is or where, where music's going, what to concentrate on and, you know, how to figure out the best way to protect your client, to make sure that you're not giving away the milk for free. Where do you see it going in the next five years? Any chance of it? who knows? I mean, there's a lot of great things going on right now with the Copyright Act and um, yeah, and you know, and look, I mean, streaming has revitalized the record label industry. Oh, no kidding! And it's been great, and it's amazing around here, man. People are doing deals like crazy, and people really? are excited. Oh, yeah, good. And record labels are signing like crazy, and people are excited and. That's um, it feels really good, and you know there's a long way to go. You're still figuring out, you know, how publishers, you know, are are getting compensated for that. But there's been a lot of headway made in that arena, yeah. and you know it's it's going to be very different, I think, in five years. But you know, and it, to say what I think it's going to be, I have no idea. Um, we just kind of take it day by day and and try to predict as well as we can. Um, and just keep up with what's going on so that, you know, I can make a guess and, um, try to, again, try to negotiate a deal to where whatever is going to happen, we make sure that our client can participate in that. Yeah. And, you know, and sometimes you get too specific, right? You can miss out on what happens because if you're making a guess, and it turns out to be something else, and you got too specific, you're going to miss out on that. So well, you, if you want my help, I'll be golfing yes. out, out in the country. I know. <laughs> well, Without dude, me. No, hopefully with you. <laughs> I know you got to jump, man. Do you want to do my lightning round real quick? Okay. This is uh, questions I don't want you to think about. I just want to go question and have you go answer. Okay. That, and if you need to think, that's cool, too, because you're a thinker. I was going to say, asking me not to think is not an easy thing to do. What's your favorite book? Grapes of Wrath. Really? I love that book. Nice. Are you a bath or a shower guy? Shower. Yeah, me too. What's the last gift you gave someone besides this time for me? Oh, I gave... uh, I'm giving my daughters... We're going to the beach next nice. week, and I'm giving them these little pink DVD player things Aww. that they're very excited about. So, And hopefully we'll keep them quiet in the back <laughs> while I drive seven to ten hours, depending on traffic. And pee breaks. Yes. Yes, all that stuff. So, yeah. Nice. Have you ever been stun-gunned? No. He kind of... Smiled when you said that. Are you sure? I'm trying to think. (laughs) No. What's the first concert you saw and how old were you? Barry Manilow. Really? Yes. I was probably young elementary school. I can't remember my exact age, but neighbors down the street, dad took us to, I think it was Hirsch Coliseum. Dang. And um, 
Barry Manilow played. And, you know, Kyle, I can't, you know, it would have been early 80s probably. Did you play Mandy? Of course he did. Love that Copacabana. Song. Oh, dude. Um, so, yeah, I saw, <laughs> I'm not, it's not, you know, the most exciting uh, first concert, but for me it was. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure it was massive too. What's the weirdest thing you've ever touched? <laughs> I mean, like a shark or something. Barry Manilow. No. <laughs> I don't uh, – weirdest thing I've ever – You don't touched. have to answer Yeah, that I have no idea what the answer to that is. Uh, what song do you never want to hear again? Uh, the Barney. Right. Barney well, theme song. It's little Daughters, yeah. Yeah. What would you be doing if you weren't doing this? Playing golf. I mean, if I weren't sitting here with you, I'd be, and I weren't working, I would be. Love like to be for a living, for a living. Um, man, I could, you know, I, something in the music industry. I yeah. mean, I, I don't really have a passion. I always make the joke of if it all ends, I'll go work at Home Depot. Yeah, uh, but I, I, something, something in the music business. I don't, I can't put on a tie again. I yeah. can't do it. Well, you don't. You're not wearing a tie today, so that's new. No. Last question. How's LSU going to be this year? Amazing. You sure? Yes, we're going to be really, really good. We're going to be much better this year. Okay, good. We've got the, uh, some uh, very deep defense. We lost you know, the best linebacker we've ever had um, and a great cornerback, but we've got some amazing guys uh, in the secondary. Uh, the whole defense is going to be really good. We're going to finally have a good quarterback last year, and he's coming back for his senior year. Is Coach O back? Coach O is awesome. back, of course. And uh, love the Cookie Monster. Yeah, and we've got we've just got a really we've got a really good team. I think we've got the chance to be really good. But the most exciting thing is we hired uh, a passing game coordinator who essentially appears he's like assistant offensive coordinator um, from the Saints. And oh, he's cool. this young genius uh, that Peyton loved. That's and, fun. Um, he, they basically are making us a spread offense, which LSU has not had a decent offense since I can remember. Yeah. And so I'm excited at the potential of not having the most predictable offense of all time. Uh, so I think we're going to be good. I think it's going to be good. a fun season. What about you? How's Nebraska going to be? I think good, man. I think everybody's fired up by the coach and got some bunch of good recruits and got some tough, tough games, but they're at home this year. Got Wisconsin, Ohio State, and Penn State, but they're all at home. So nice. Nebraska is lucky. Scott Frost saved their sellout streak. Yeah, the last time Nebraska did not sell out was before JFK was a president. Wow. So I think that would have stopped had Scott Frost is the man. Uh, I'm glad anyway, to hear it. We'll see. I hope it's fun. Dude, thank you so much for your time. I love you, buddy. Love you, brother. It's been fun as always getting to know you. See you, dude. Later. Hey, we've started reading some of your reviews at the end of these uh, interviews. So thank you very much for sending them in. This one is from Nana in FL21. And she says. This podcast is easy to listen to. I feel like I'm learning so much about the music business. Great guests and topics. Do yourself a favor and click play. So there you go. Thanks, Nana and FL21. 
And if you'd like to leave a review, go to Apple Podcasts. Please give us five stars, leave us a review, and we'll try to read it on the show. Thanks very much. 